This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. QAnon, the made in America conspiracy theory, is gaining traction around the world. We'll find out why. And Marcy Ian becomes the latest broadcaster to embark on a political career after winning this week's by-election in Toronto Centre. We have a feature interview. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. In theory, you gained an hour of sleep today as daylight saving time officially ended overnight. But falling back does not equal sleep gain. And in fact, sleep experts agree that year-round standard time would be better for our health. Researchers say the fall time change is linked to increased depression due to less sunlight hours. Conversely, the springtime change leads to an increase in car accidents, workplace accidents, and heart attacks. A U.S. task force is recommending adults be screened for colorectal cancer beginning at age 45 rather than 50. The move comes amid a sharp rise in the number of colon and rectal cancers in young adults. Though the majority of these cancers are still found in people over 50, 12% of all colon cancers diagnosed in the U.S. this year will be found in the younger cohort. Colon cancer dropped steadily for people born between 18 1990 and 1950, but has been increasing for every generation born since the mid-20th century. I forgot the punchline when you asked me how do I feel today. On top of everything else I said, now I can die happy. Video of 104-year-old New Yorker Ruth Rossner went viral this week when her early voting story and call to vote was shared online. Ruth was born before women had the right to vote, and the centenarian's first vote was for FDR. She calls this election, hands down, without exception, one of the most important votes she's cast in her lifetime, adding that she's thrilled to be alive for it. An obituary for a 93-year-old Minneapolis-area woman went viral because it included one specific request for her mourners. Don't vote for Donald Trump. Georgia May Adkins died of a stroke in September, and her death notice also included details of how she wanted to be cremated and then honored with a church service under COVID-19 protocols. Lay, lady, lay. Long-lost interviews with singer-songwriter Bob Dylan that surfaced at a Boston auction house reveal the 79-year-old wrote Lay Lady Lay for actress Barbara Streisand, though they don't exactly say why. The 1971 interviews with the late American blues artist Tony Glover 
also disclosed that Dylan, born Robert Zimmerman, changed his name because he was worried about anti-Semitism. The documents are being sold through a Boston-based auction house. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. What is QAnon? People around the world are asking that question now that this extreme American conspiracy theory keeps gaining followers and heading closer to the mainstream. It centers on the belief that the U.S. is run by a liberal cabal of child sex traffickers who can only be stopped by Donald Trump. I talked with Josh Pasek, a University of Michigan professor and expert on political communication and misinformation. QAnon has sort of become a whole collection of things um, that have gotten glommed together as part of a single conspiracy theory. They think that the deep state is a cabal of Satan-worshipping pedophiles who sometimes go as far as drinking the blood of young children. Uh, yeah, it blends everything from, you know, long-term anti-Semitic conspiracy theories to much more novel approaches to sort of finding a way to think the other side has malicious intent. How did it spread? So I, I think we're at a moment where it's very easy for people to buy into conspiracy theories. Um, there's a lot of alternative media um, that exist right now. Uh, things can be passed along relatively quickly, both through uh, message boards, um, like the 4chans and 8chans that did a lot of spreading of early QAnon stuff, as well as um, the fact that people can pass along sort of smaller tidbits of information through a Facebook or a Twitter to a large number of other people. Um, and this helps promulgate ideas that end up being related to some of the sort of larger QAnon theories. Finally, uh, you have a president who's willing to not fully explicitly, but at least subversively endorse some of the claims being made by a group like QAnon. They look on him as almost a savior. He's the only person who can deal with this elite cabal, which includes Democrats and Angela Merkel and George Soros. Where is Trump in all of this, in their ideology? Uh, so Trump is viewed as someone who's working against this uh, purported cabal and uh, going to save uh, all the children, as the, the theory goes. When he's asked about it, he says, uh, I don't know who they are, or I know they're against pedophilia, or something like that. Uh, which clearly, you know, which clearly is a partial story at best, as he's regularly broadcast messages that have come from Q supporters. Um, his family has, you know, his family members have rebroadcast things uh, from QAnon supporters as well. And so even though he may claim to not really know what's going on, that strains credulity at best. Would you say they are in the mainstream now? The prevalence of it right now is in part because there seem to be a considerable amount of elite endorsement of QAnon, um, not just sort of these statements by the president that hint at it, um, but there are also likely incoming members of Congress who have endorsed QAnon theories more directly. 
And a whole lot of media attention has been focused on QAnon, which further um, increases sort of the amount of chatter around QAnon and the amount of interest that people pay towards it. Okay, so uh, am I doing something bad by asking about it? It's actually a really fascinating question, um, because the more we all talk about it, the more people are likely to go say, what is this QAnon thing, and to start looking it up. Um, And some of those people are likely to get drawn in. On the other hand, your national security authorities have uh, classified this as a terrorist threat. Does that not carry that much weight? Who's classifying them as a domestic terrorist threat is the challenge. Ah. The problem is, if you don't believe authorities, the authorities who are classifying it as a domestic terrorist threat who are people who would be ostensibly considered part of the deep state by QAnon followers, then why would you believe their assertion that it's an actual terrorist threat and not think that they're the ones trying to quash it? It has expanded to other countries. Uh, We're hearing about QAnon in the UK and in Germany. Uh, It's... So at the moment, it taps something that apparently a bunch of people are looking for, which is an explanation for why they feel like government isn't working for them, why they feel like um, they're trapped in their homes under a lockdown and other things like that in the current environment. Um, And that creates a potential for a lot of people to sort of seek a simple answer. And if that simple answer is, you know, this theory of people working together, whether it's a pedophile ring or not, to suppress them, that is tempting. What's the role of the pandemic in all of this? When people are at home, when they don't have the social connections that they typically have, there's more potential for people to become extreme under conditions of loneliness. People feel more out of control when they're being told what to do. Um, You know, where I live in the state of Michigan, um, individuals have shown up at the state capitol with guns protesting the fact that they were being told not to, you know, go to bars and go to restaurants in the middle of a pandemic, right? Which might otherwise seem like good policy, but if you feel like you're being oppressed, the chance that you're going to believe the worst about other people is is greater. What is the role you think that QAnon is playing in the election? It fits into an environment where there's a lot of distrust Um, and a lot of fear about the other side. Um, We've had something called affective polarization, which is that people increasingly dislike those in the other party um, and may think that their purposes are not for good. Um, And QAnon, I think, is partially an expression of that. If President Trump wins, the group is going to continue in the same way that it has for the last few years, most likely feeling like he's playing this particular role. If he loses... Um, There may be fear that he's been sort of overtaken by this purported deep state, and that might cause people to go off and do things that might be more dangerous. Um, But I don't see a case either way where a theory like this is just going to disappear. Thank you so much, Josh Pasek. No problem at all. Thank you for having me. That was Professor Josh Pasek of the University of Michigan. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up... Marcy Ian goes to Ottawa. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. 
probably know her from television. Veteran broadcaster Marcy Ian is trading one microphone for another after winning the federal by-election in Toronto Centre for the Liberals. She's the daughter of immigrants from Trinidad, eager to bring her experience as a black woman to the political scene. We chatted a few days after her victory. If you would have asked me, I don't know, six, seven months ago, whether I thought that I would be doing this, that I would be the MP-elect for Toronto Centre, I would have said, absolutely not. And then I thought, this riding, I was born in this riding. This is where my family's legacy started. I went to university in this riding. And I thought, okay, um, there's definitely something here. And the other part of this is the service. And that is something that I have always tried to be a part of outside of my job, just service to community, service to youth. And then, yes, I was approached. I had been approached before by other people, other parties. When the ask came in, I couldn't say no. And that told me something. I could not say absolutely not. And I had to think about it. And then I thought about you know, conversations. And I thought about the conversations that I was trying to push forward. We have often seen broadcasters, journalists uh, go into politics. Was that one of the factors that you uh, have some transferable skills? I didn't see it then, but I certainly see it now after doing a 35, 36 day campaign during a pandemic. And those transferable skills, Libby, are listening listening well, connecting with people. And what this has been, this campaign, was a lot of conversations, physically distanced ones, meeting people where they were, whether they were, you know, walking down the street or walking their kids to school or sitting on a patio or, you know, wherever, you know, it was meeting where they, where they were and asking them about their lives and what was going well and, frankly, what wasn't going well and how they saw their community, what they liked, and what they wanted to change. Your predecessor, the former finance minister, Bill Morneau, who did really well in that writing, and I have no doubt that he is a very well-meaning person, but uh, he would have been the epitome of white privilege. And in this race, not so long afterwards, uh, there were five candidates, all of them people of color, visible Mm -hmm. minorities, Mm-hmm. What do you make of that? Well, I think the people have spoken. Someone's listening to somebody. And and I and I think it's so important. I can't tell you how many young people in particular, Libby, who said, oh my goodness, you know, finally somebody that looks like me. Finally somebody that can relate to my life experience. And it means something. It means something to be a black woman who has been elected and will be at the table representing Toronto Centre. It means something. It means something for them to see me. Your closest opponent is also a Black woman, the first Black woman to head a National Party enemy, Paul, head of the Green Party. So uh, what did you think about that factor? As soon as uh, enemy was elected leader of the Green Party, I reached out. And I said, this is history. Like, this is amazing. And after the campaign ended and uh, the election ended, 
um, I reached out again to say thank you. You know, thank you for a great race and thank you for a respectful race. You know, my gosh, we've come a long way. You talk about the aspect of being a woman in politics and women in politics take a huge amount of abuse, sometimes to the point of being endangered. How do you feel about that? Well, I'll tell you, uh, I'm well prepared because the death threats have already happened. Uh, I got a vitriol of hatred via social media for years. A lot of it started when I wrote an op-ed about being stopped by a police officer in my driveway. And every time I broached the topic of race or issues, you know, about BIPOC people, um, the vitriol was fierce and it was furious. So, you know, um, there, there are police investigations that are ongoing right now because I've already been threatened. And this has been happening to me for years now. It's the one thing that my family was really concerned about because they said, you know, Mars, look what you faced. Look at what you go through. Look at the threats you get already. And I said, it's preparation. You also, a long time ago, you were in a bad car collision that really laid you low. How does that inform your view of things? So it was actually coming home. So I was working at Canada AM at the time, and we had a car service. And I was in a car with a driver who was, you know, we had become good friends. We had been driving together for 10 years. We got onto the 401, the car in front of us suddenly changed lanes, just dipped out of the lane. And we immediately realized why that car had done that, because there was a truck that was hanging over. It had had some mechanical issues, and we barreled right into it. I remember paramedics coming to the scene and one of them saying, didn't I just watch you this morning? What are you doing here? And they used the jaws of life to get us out. So there isn't a day that goes by where I think I'm still here for a reason. I've got to make the most of every day. And it's the reason that I was really, you know, thinking about legacy You know, I was at a point in my career, Libby, where I felt I've got more years behind me than in front of me. How am I using my microphone? Am I using it well? What more can I do? And that accident always in the back of my mind, you know, I'm still here for a reason. And that reason isn't, isn't, you know, just about me. It's about others. So, you know, what are you going to do to that end? And that had a lot to do with this decision, too. Marcy, Ian, all the best to you in Ottawa. I hope you enjoy your new career and you're able to accomplish what you want to. Thanks for joining us. Libby, thank you so very much and take good care. That was Liberal MP-elect Marcy Ian. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.